0: You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, John. Hi Bernard, how are you doing? I am well. How about you?
1: Good, thank you. Good, good. You're now based in Thailand, right? Yes, I've been here for quite uh, a long time now, about six years now. Yeah. Originally, you
0: started corresponding for the next web and I think you have recently moved to TechCrunch
1: and you're now covering Asia for them? That is indeed true, yes. How's the experience of the transition? Uh, it's good. I mean, it's pretty much, it's, it's a very, very similar role, obviously, because, you know, you're kind of covering tech, the focus on Asia. But I think, you know, Tech Ventures is, is a little bit different because it tends to have a bit more of a focus on, you know, the tech industry is, itself. So kind of more uh, startup and funding related stories, which which is, I think, quite fun because, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening in this part of the world. And unfortunately, they don't always get the kind of coverage in media that you'd, that you'd hope for, really. So it's quite nice to be able to be is someone who's telling a story that isn't isn't told as you know that that much basically. So so yeah, it's good. So you're originally from the United Kingdom. What
0: made you move to Asia and then subsequently how you got into the next web and then subsequently moved to TechCrunch?
1: I am indeed English uh, from the UK. I met my wife in the UK. She's actually Thai and we lived in London for almost three years, I guess. But There is a combination of factors really, but essentially I kind of wanted to do something a bit different, basically. And, you know, I'd kind of been to Asia, I actually spent some of my childhood uh, in Asia as well and I'd always wanted to kind of come back so we moved back to Thailand uh, we moved to Thailand, sorry, uh, for the first time um, in 2008 I guess, there wasn't a lot going on here, there wasn't a lot in terms of work either so I didn't do a lot at first um, but I, I kind of ended up So my, my, my background is in the, is actually in, in, in PR, believe it or not and so I did some kind of um, freelance work for some people that I knew um, being based out here, I needed, I needed to get a visa because it's quite difficult to, to live here without a, a visa so I actually ended up teaching for it for a bit and I thought it would be you know a really great chance to kind of really help make it make a difference and do stuff but I, let's just say I, I found it a bit difficult and some of the the kind of uh, systems that, that, that they have here can be can be quite um fr- frustrating I'd say if you're a teacher but I mean I got lucky and I managed to find an office job in Bangkok and I kind of always been writing on the on the side you know, just as a as a Hobby, basically. I ended up getting to write for a website called Asian Correspondent, which is like an um, an independent news site. And I was kind of their their tech guy for about a year or eighteen months. And then I kind of had a crazy thought that I could do this as a full time job. I knew the guy who was running the next web at the time, and he'd been asking me for a while. You know, come come work for us. That's Z, um, the founder, right? Z, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. I had a moment of madness when I was like, I was like, yeah, okay. I'll do it. (laughs) So I I left uh, the kind of the the safety of an office job, which is quite hard to find in Thailand, by the way, especially, you know, in 2010. So it's a bit easier now, but in 2010, it was quite it was quite tough. And so I I walked away from that to be a tech journalist. And yeah, The Next Web, I was next for about three years or so until about October time when I joined TechCrunch, as you indeed said. How's the
0: culture shift from... The next Web, to TechCrunch, or is it just similar? Is still covering tech I in think, Asia.
1: I think it's very similar. You know, they're both they're both great publications. You know, they have huge audiences. You know, they're, they're read by a lot of people in the US and in Europe and also in Asia as well. Uh, I think, I mean, I think Asia is the most interesting area to cover for me because, you know, there's just so much that's going on here. Things are changing so, so quickly. And, you know, as I also mentioned, there's not a ton of media that are, that are, that are covering all this stuff. So, you know, you you get a good chance to d- dig into quite a fascinating topic that, you know, no one's really talking about. So, so yeah, I mean, te- as I say, TechCrunch is a little bit more focused on the industry, which is personally something that I really like because I've watched, you know, over the past six years, you know, things have changed a ton here, right? And I think, you know, you, you'd you be also a person who who is aware of that too in terms of, you know, in uh, startups and funding and investment and companies that are coming out of here. So, you know, I think it's a great time, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing anything else. So, are you the
0: only Asia TechCrunch correspondent, or, or are there a couple of them? No,
1: there's uh, so there's two of us. So, my colleague um, Catherine Xu is based in uh, in Taipei in uh, t- Taiwan. So, we kind of cover Asia together. And I think actually a kind of two person operation is quite good. And that's what we did at the at the next web as well. We had two of us, you know, who were covering Asia at any given time. And um, I mean, it's not it's not like a crazy busy, you know, place to be like it is, you know, in the US or Europe. Perhaps uh, you can get some quiet days. And I think the difficulty is that you know, as a global publication, you know, you cover Asia from a uh, from a, a regional point of view. So you know, it's not necessarily every piece of news or every deal, but it's stuff that kind of stands out on a regional basis. So I think kind of. Having to, is a good team number, I think. So I know
0: you from the Asian Correspondence, the Next Web, then to TechCrunch. So I know you have been really think, looking at the landscape of startups in Southeast Asia, and also I think there is a boom of technology startups that's now happening in Thailand. I think in the last two three years we have Echelon, which is part of the E27 effort. The tech conference is going into Thailand and etc. But maybe tell me a little bit about how do you see the landscape changing? I mean, from the perspective of, say, homegrown entrepreneurs, the investor side, maybe we will start with those two pieces and then maybe we will gradually build the story out.
1: Sure, so I guess the first caveat is that I'm probably the worst person to talk about Thailand's startup ecosystem even though I've been living here for the past six years But um, you've quite a lot of ground No, leader. I mean, I, yeah, I do, I do, I do, I, I'm kind of half kidding, but I mean, you know, we've all uh, for my work I've always looked at Asia from a, a regional point of view mm-hmm. And then, I mean, Thailand is a, is a fascinating country, but it's not the, the, the biggest country out there, and it's still very much a market that's Dominated by kind of Thai entrepreneurs and Thai, uh, you know, VC companies, I would say. But I mean, that is changing, and there are some good examples of companies that are, you know, actually based here that are doing that are providing services or doing work that's regional. But yeah, so it's quite a difficult one to get into because I mean, to to a certain level, like it is dominated by kind of Thais. But there are lots of entrepreneurs that are coming here and are kind of working out of Thailand, maybe running like small. Projects or small startups. So that's over the sort of last two years, the kind of cost of living out here has really has really drawn in lots of people who who want to, who want to you know start small companies or do like you know work as a digital nomad or whatnot. You know those kind of terms that get thrown around. So there, there is that element to it too. But I mean Thailand, Thailand is like, I mean you are quite right. they back to the, the the main point, Thailand's market the, the market for startups here is growing very quickly and arguably from a, a very kind of small small base, right? I mean, you know, sort of three years ago, there weren't really in startups here, and now you're seeing, you know, a few that are that have raised kind of multi-million dollar um, funding rounds. They're actually, you know, active in Southeast Asia as a region, not just Thailand. So I think it is it is growing pretty pretty quickly, and I think you know one of the reasons for that is because there's 60 million people that um, live here, so it's quite a, it's quite a big um, market in terms of uh, reach or you know p- possible reach, and smartphones here are just crazy, you know. Um, I think Thailand is the top market for Instagram and, you know, Foursquare used to be huge here and, you know, there people really, you know, using the internet on your phone is something that everybody does here, you know. It's not even a question. It's it's very much a mobile-first country, so, you know, that obviously gives entrepreneurs and startups a real opportunity to make a difference and to get some traction out here.
0: So is this similar to Indonesia and Philippines? Which is the other two kind of large population, I think so. I sorry. Mean, obviously country? There,
1: sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are there are obviously big differences. I, I, you know, I personally, as somebody who's lived here for a while, I think it's quite difficult to, to, to run a Thai business. In fact, in fact, it's not possible to run a business here without speaking Thai, or at least having a, a, a co-founder who is, um, who, who is Thai. I mean, the, partly that that's legal because you know there there's certain stipulations for companies where they you know you have to have a more than half of the company has to be owned by a a Thai person. I mean oh, right. there are some there are some regulations or there are some um, some some rules in place that, that do allow uh, a bit more freedom for for some companies. But in general like it is difficult to register your company here and to kind of be active in the market if you're not you know if you're not Thai. And I think that's that's also the case in, in other markets too of, of course. But I just think that like Thailand is very difficult if you don't have that connection in, in in some way, I think to actually to do a business in Thailand is difficult. But obviously to be based here and you can be based here and do and do other things too. I mean that's that that's the other side of the coin, I guess. But
0: you have been to say Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, around the region. What 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 is yeah. the kind of? Perspective you draw from looking at entrepreneurs. I mean, there, there are definitely homegrown ones There are definitely people who came from overseas and set up companies yeah. there What do you find the mix? Um, varies in terms of the way they run companies because you, you, you see it from a, a larger per perspective How do you see the dynamic work out within those countries? Well, I mean, Indonesia yeah, is a I very think- interesting situation.
1: Sure. I right. mean, I mean Indonesia is probably a market where you could just focus on the local market only, and not you know not have to go overseas. I mean, I think it's difficult because you know everybody wants uh, you know startups to go regional, but actually sometimes you can go regional a bit too early. And I think it's still a case of of um, being su- successful in, in in each market. You know, is, is is about having a very local kind of focus. So I think that in that respect, there's not you know it's not that different to say in the US or or the UK maybe where you know some some kinds of companies have to be very focused on their target like l- local markets so I don't think that that is that different but I think that maybe you know lots of founders in, in Asia tend to be older I think I've noticed that quite a lot and um, you see lots of guys that have done stuff previously. Um, either, you know, working for big companies and then, you know, having an idea and then actually going out and doing it. They've already earned some money because they've been working so they're not kind of bootstrapping without any cash. Or maybe they've been successful in the past and they've already had an exit. Or maybe, you know, they've just done well in their business and they've made, you know, they've made revenue from the word go. Because so I think it's, you know, if you go back sort of three or four years ago, it was quite hard to, to, to raise funding. So companies had to go out there and they had to actually make cash. So, you know, that was, that was tough, obviously, for entrepreneurs then. But actually, it was good because the 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 companies that actually that actually survived and, and and kept going were the ones that could actually turn in a profit from the word go. So, but how do you see the investor side? I think
0: there is the local, as in the country investors. I mean, Singapore we have the country investors, and then there are the regional yeah. investors that's going out to the regional. I think. The Japanese investors, for example, Rakuten, Gri, they tend to be more yeah, Southeast yeah. Asia specific, and then there is the global investors. I think the only really active global investor group at the moment is Tiger Global or Sokoa, which are the yeah, two I most well-known big ones. Yeah. But how that how did those forces shape Southeast Asia in terms of fundraising?
1: Well, I think I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, those two are the big two kind of global ones and certainly in terms of investors coming in from certain markets I think mean, you're right to say that you know lots of companies from J- Japan are looking at Southeast Asia. Indonesia you know is a market in, in, in particular where they're funding e-commerce and other kind of um, payments for, related startups because I guess you know I mean from kind of talking to them they kind of see Southeast Asia and in, in you know in, in the Indonesian market in, in particular as you know, similar to sort of China, sort of say five or ten or even twenty years ago. Obviously, it doesn't have that kind of scale. You know, not that many people. But I mean, just in terms of the infrastructure, the kind of appetite, you know, all these things that could, you know, in in the coming few few years, give companies much more, uh, many more opportunities to be successful and to grow. I think, yeah, the Japanese investors for sure, and obviously, you know, Singapore, where you where you happen to be based, is obviously a is a is a financial hub, you know, in its own right. So there's lots of in- investors who who are based there as well. And I think, you know, maybe up until sort of one or two years ago, the investment in markets like Thailand and you know the, the Philippines you know, wasn't really heard of. But I think now it's becoming a lot more common. And certainly, you know, there are VC companies who are out here in Thailand who are who are certainly searching for deals. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the reason is is opening up. So. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that's a good, good news
0: for every, everybody, really, I guess. I mean, we cover entrepreneurs, we cover investors, That but, I mean, there is a third force, and I think that third force, you and I conversed a couple of times over Twitter, is Rocket Internet. Oh, yes. 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 So, um, Rocket Internet, <laughs> well-known. Yes, the Sambo Brothers, who recently, I think, IPO the company. So, what they do is they, they, they used to start, they start off with the reputation of cloning companies, and then I think they also have recently have a global fund and they are starting to do their own stuff. I guess the question is, for me, I always see them as a necessary evil to any startup ecosystem. They need to be there <laughs> because they are, they are basically yeah. paying for people to be entrepreneurs and yeah. to be able to create that startup momentum so that even if, they, if these people that they hired gets fired they will go back into the ecosystem and basically start their own companies which is already happening so i yes. guess you you have been a rocket internet watcher in this part of the world how do you yeah. see them operating so far and what are your thoughts i mean we we talk about it as in people actually ascribe to us being having certain opinions about it but we actually never talked about it in public uh, on a rocket internet and mean, not really in <laughs> yeah. that in 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 a sense of oh you know gotcha bernard or gotcha john right <laughs> yeah more in the sense of how do you see them as a part of that ecosystem within southeast asia given their footprint is yeah, so um, large in southeast asia
1: yeah i, th- I mean i, I think you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head you know they're i mean they have you know Made a huge difference to this part of the, the world. You know, uh, lots of companies that I speak to, you know, when they're when they're hiring, uh, I mean, they don't even have to contact people who are working at, at Rocket Internet because often, you know, there are guys who are in there who, you know, they work really hard and they get paid, you know, perhaps a little bit below what they're what they feel that they're, that they're kind of worth, and maybe they're not. You know, there are some things about where the company is being run they're not happy with, but Rocket Internet gives them that kind of first taste of you know, working for startup companies, and um, as you say, there are so many companies that have been founded by ex Rocket Internet people, and it's not just ex Rocket Internet Thais or Singaporeans or or mm. Indonesians. There's, you know, there are foreigners that come over here from Europe, and you know they work at Rocket Internet for you know say eighteen months or something, and they and they kind of get the taste for doing a startup, and then they, they they kind of get out and they and they start their own company. So I think it's been an unbelievable c- catalyst for the, for the region. In terms yeah. of just you know raising awareness of of startups and just helping to you know give people that push because I think up until and it I don't know actually not up until recently it's still the case that you know there's a lot of pride in in Asia working for a big company because you know there's a lot of kind of um, social status you know face saving if you work for a, for a very big company that it shows you know your education is has been well spent and your family are kind of proud of you and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs Certainly, you know, a year or two ago, perhaps. I mean, I'm not sure about now, but they, they you know, they'll tell stories about how their family, you know, doubted them when they started their, their their startup. And it was only when they, you know, started to make money and kind of do big things that their families realised that actually what they were doing was was even better than working for, you know, say, a big big company. I think the Rocket Internet has helped has helped change that a little bit. It was certainly given people the confidence to to go after, you know, starting their own their own companies. Well, most um, and obviously, hmm. I mean the amount of money that they've raised, right? I mean, I, I don't know; they have, they've never given the exact figures, but it must be like half a billion dollars we, just for just for their the biggest two startups, their uh, biggest right. two companies. The
0: biggest two companies, I think Lazada and Zalora, is at this minimum yeah. half a billion dollars, and they're still burning relatively burning cash at the moment. I, I was looking at their S world and they were doing <laughs> something like negative fifty EBIT for a public company yeah. is kind of difficult i mean even amazon is to make sure everything reaches zero as in our profits is zero but you know the revenues is growing so that they can create the story I, I i'm not sure what rocket internet's story story is yet but it's kind of you 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 talk a little bit about them for not being like a clone factory what was that about them
1: well i mean i i think that they have a, a reputation you know as you mentioned they used to do the the you know start a company and scale it quickly and then and sell it off. But I mean, there hasn't been that much of that recently. In fact, certainly, I, I'm trying to think of the last couple of or few years where they they, they sold a, a company in, in that kind of way. I see it as, and I mean, I don't have all the answers by any means, but I mean, I think that they're doing it very differently now. And I think, I mean, there probably is a big exit at the end, or at least that they, they hope there's a big exit at the end. But I mean, it's a much longer-term game and that is Get into in, into very new kind of nascent markets. Um, get in there very early. Help you know stimulate internet e- ecosystem. Get sort of three or four or five services that are in there that are you know based on payments or commerce. You know this kind of uh, tr- you know stuff that's that that makes uh, r- revenue basically. Get get some companies in there in in these new markets and then invest in helping to grow the ecosystem and then you know in sort of five, ten, fifteen years. The, the idea could be that those those services, you know, could be in an amazing position. And then when you when you talk all together, then you can see that Rocket has potentially this incredible network that, you know, spans sort of Asia, Africa, Europe, Middle East, South South America, in theory at least. And this is what I think their kind of theory is. They do a lot, a lot, plenty of things wrong. I mean, I'm definitely not a Rocket Internet fan or anything like that. But I mean, I do appreciate that they kind of get out there and they kind of, they, they kind of put their boots on, and they they literally go out and they meet companies face to face, and they explain, you know, this is the internet. You know, they're actually they're they're hard selling the, 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 the internet to companies that, that don't really know what the internet is. And I think that you know that's not going to change anything on its own. But I think that is a part of how the, the value of the internet is 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 realised, right? Is when companies start to shift their kind of budgets or their business focus towards being online. Mm-hmm. So I think that what they're doing in in that sense. Is, is, is quite amazing you know I, I mean I've talked to some plenty of their founders and I think even more so in Africa than than in Asia you know they're actually going out there and meeting companies they're giving them sort of um six months of free um, listing on on the, I think I talked to like a like a property portal site or was and also a car sales site and they were offering something like six months free listings to get companies on there I mean you can argue that that's them, you know, being sharks and kind of bringing people on, but I think that's an incredible way to kind of teach the internet to businesses. And I don't see anybody else that's redoing really that, and so I think that that's something that's incredible. And also, you know, probably Google, quite recently,
0: Google is doing that in India. Yeah, that's, they're yeah, doing that, a lot of true. that in India. Right. They, they're trying to get people online, teaching them how to make websites, and also getting them to understand the. It's actually more to give internet education, so that the more people comes online, it also helps in Google advertising, I guess, from the yeah, longer yeah, term. Yeah,
1: no, you are quite right. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, in terms of a, of, of a bit, I mean, Google no. in Asia is mm. al- almost almost like a like a non non profit sometimes. I mean, they do incredible like CSR work. You know, like uh, in Bangladesh, they just um, That's right. sent a bus round with all these kind of. Uh, Android devices to teach kids how to kind of use the internet, and that's amazing. But Google can do that because you know it has incredible cash reserves and cash flow and stuff. And then, like I say, it's almost like a like a non profit in this in this part of the world. But I mean, Rocket Internet is is not that company and doesn't have anything like the same kind of status as well. You know, Google is, is is a is a household name even in even in Asia. You know, where people don't even use the internet, they still know what Google is. So I mean, I have some respect for Rocket Internet for that. But I think the interesting thing that happened recently was they they took some of their e-commerce companies, Asia and maybe Latin America and some other places, and they they brought them they brought them all together. So they bought five companies together, and they they're not rebranding them all, but they're they're putting them under an umbrella. So the idea is that you know this kind of group sells um, I don't know, electronics and fashion and things in Asia. Latin America, Middle East, and maybe even Europe as well. So you can see already that they're building this, this this network where they can they can in theory sell to you know they can sell to all these people in all these all these markets. And you know what? There's no there's no Amazon in most of these markets. There's no there's no eBay in these markets. So they, they're building this network that I guess in sort of five ten years they hope at least is going to have incredible value and be the you know the leading player. And so I. Like, Yes, you know, that's their exit plan, right? Is to build huge startups and you know try and get an insane exit from them.
0: Mm. I, I guess the last company we were you were just talking about, which US company they last clone that got purchased, that was Groupon. I think that also had an effect on their reputation as well after yeah, they, sure. after they worked with Groupon. And I think I've recently heard a lecture in the Sam Altman's course in Silicon Valley about how to start a startup. And I think the founder of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, was making was talking about one of the hardest decisions that he has to make for to get co- a company culture. And he was saying that the they decided not to go with them, not to acquire Wimdu, which was the Airbnb clone. And his argument boils yeah. down to culture. So I think there is a, also a question of culture in terms of their quick turnaround. And I and I, and I think that the. The Lazada, the Zalora, I think those are the two most prominent rocket internet, maybe Foot Panda. And now that they're also yeah. into the taxi apps, I think it's called Easy Taxi, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. they, they, they are actually in everyone's path. There will always be also the local players, and then there will be yeah. rocket internet. So I think, as, as a critic, I think they, they are suffering more from an operations issue. And more from the turnover and the way they are hiring, but I mean there are different there are different beliefs in that their belief is that you hire the guys from the the bankers from Goldman Sachs, the consultants from yep. a top consulting firm, and then you put them all together, subjecting to high stressful co- conditions. If they don't meet up, you get fired. It's it's kind no, of no no.
1: You're right. You're right. Yeah, they're, they're it is. It's, it's, it's the wrong kind of culture. Right? It's completely not what people are. I mean, people aren't taught culture, but you know, when you listen, like you say, you listen to lectures. This is like, this is like all the kind of all the kind of bad things to, to do, right? Mm, correct. <laughs> so yeah, I think Rocket Internet definitely ha- has a, has a culture problem. I mean, you do, you just look in Asia. I mean, it's like a revolving door. Like I, there was a point when I did have really good contacts um, in some Rocket Internet companies, but it was literally like every three three or four months that person would would leave, and so I had to go out there and and find somebody else, and you know, get that person on board again and after a while it became you know it wasn't really worth doing anymore because they turnover was just so high (laughs) (laughs) correct i caught
0: the rocket internet alumni falls into two groups there are the groups that learned their lesson and try to start better companies i've seen some of them like uh, edit suits i think is one of those interesting ones crave i'm not so sure is the one uh, the hungry go wear clone food search in indonesia and a couple of other very similar Concepts they, they, they go into very niche lifestyle business, but basically software is eating kind of niche Industries, and then there are that the, the other group that's basically they go to other companies they get turned around another three to six months and they're basically trying to raise money with a PowerPoint presentation. I've seen that a lot, even as an angel investor. <laughs> I don't know. Is I mean, do you see the influences good or bad? I mean, from from your perspective, I see I, I see things in a in a gray. The world is not really black and white. It's very gray.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that you're absolutely right again. You know, I think there are always going to be kind of good examples and they're going to be bad examples. But I mean, even if even if there are sort of nine guys that go out to a company and you know do their kind of Pitched by by PowerPoint. If if one of them is out there building a good company, then that's that's adding adding value, right? I, I think that it it can only be good really if there are more people who are out here who are, who are doing things, you know, helping to raise awareness of the region and also just to raise awareness that you can actually you can actually build startups out out here.
0: Let's let's take a step forward and talk about Southeast Asia as a whole. I guess. There are a couple of things that this market always faces i, I i'm sure you me and SMIDY over twitter we we have argued a couple of things on on it i think one of the most biggest most interesting topics is infrastructure there there is a, yep. the payments problem i think you and we all know there is no common paypal-like system across southeast asia because of the local banking regulations i think there is yep. also a difference in terms of cost of living I would say that Singapore is, of course, the most guilty of of them all <laughs> with a very high cost of living versus the rest with a low cost of living. I mean, how do you see the talent flow? I, I think you have written a couple of posts about this, about the difference of the talent flow and then the cost of living and the infrastructure. What are your thoughts on that fragmentation in Southeast? Asia? I
1: think it's a difficult one because if all the startups are based in, Singapore. Then, obviously, everyone's going to be moving there, you know, because people people go where the where where the jobs are, where the opportunities are. I mean, I do think that over the last sort of two two years or so, things have changed, and there are there are many more good startups, you know, who are uh, raising funding and doing kind of good things that, that aren't based in um, in Singapore. So there's been a kind of you probably know best best. There's been a kind of uh, realization among the kind of startup people in. Singapore. That actually, there are companies that are not in Singapore. that are actually worth knowing about, and that are actually doing things. But then again, at the same time, there are companies that are in Singapore. And even though the the market is a lot smaller, right? You've got a population of sort of six million people. There are companies that are in Singapore and only in Singapore that are doing like very very cool things too. I think it's a really great time because you can be anywhere in Southeast Asia, and you know, if what if what you're doing is is solving a problem or bringing something new. I think that you've got a great opportunity to change things. And in the past, not getting funding was a was one of those kind of barriers that many people faced. But I think that now there's an awareness of startups outside of Singapore. That now And then also there, there are many more events, right? There's, you know, you mentioned um, Echelon, there's uh, Tech, in, a Tech in Asia event as well, Startup Asia. There's lots of small events that go on as well. I think that, you know, there's more events. There's more investors, there's more people, there are more startups. You know, it's beginning to to be a bit more regional. So you don't have to be in Singapore to start. Right. A I was talking to Christine
0: in the yeah. other podcast and I mean, she's championing the kind of our ecosystem in Singapore for Walkabout and then some of the local yeah. startup events. And now that she has also found local champions in Philippines in you know, the other parts of Southeast Asia that is learning from the model that the model that she, she yeah. used and then start replicating that that, that kind of ecosystem building mm-hmm. on that so in in some sense I think there is a distributed effect you are seeing in the in, yeah. even though the markets are fragmented but I guess what I thought maybe I want to plug your brain a little is are you going to see consistently more local strong players unable to move into another market or do you See that there may be a possibility of a regional startup company happening in Southeast Asia. I mean, we haven't really seen one that can actually go across. I mean, those that successfully do it typically goes to the US and come back. I'm gonna just use yeah, the I mean, example I, I, Razor. I, yeah. Razor is the best example for global.
1: Right, right.
0: It's a Singaporean I've company. Forgotten.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, people don't always know that they're from Singapore, right? That's
0: a, that's a fact. That no, nope. I'll, I'll tell you the hidden story. Well, you know, right? The backstory. <laughs> the backstory is a super angel in Singapore, very prominent, has the year, eyes and ears of somebody in some, some of the top guys in Silicon Valley, told the founder to set up the company incorporated in the US, but the engineering team stays in Singapore. So they became, I think they are now a unicorn. So they have, I think, recently raised yes. one hundred fifty male Four billion dollar valuation. I think we are also beginning to see local unicorns. Tokopedia would be probably the best example. I, I mean, don't know. I
1: mean, are they valued at a billion? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, again, yeah, like, the valuation was not, which is
0: yeah, which is why I want <coughs> to ask you: Do you think that all the valuation at the moment is overvalued? Is there? Do you think there's a froth there is, okay? Uh, I don't want to use the word bubble because there's no there's there's already a yeah. crunch, so there's no bubble in this market
1: R- right away. Well, I, I think it's 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 really hard to know because because companies don't. Tell people like me, you know how much uh, money that they've, uh, the the valuation that they're raising funding at. So I mean, technically, I I don't know lots of companies' valuations. I mean, obviously, you kind of hear things, and you kind of hear rumors and stuff. Um, I mean, I don't think. I mean, to my knowledge, anyway, there's there's no billion dollar startups in Southeast Asia at at the moment. Okay, that's Um, interesting. But right, I mean, is that correct?
0: Well. Technically correct. I mean, Razor <laughs> is still considered a US company. I
1: think I'll, uh, I'll agree uh, with you on that. But I think that, uh, I mean, what I'm going to, which is what you want to hear, is I think that there, there is the potential for, for these companies to, 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 to come out of Southeast Asia, right? I mean, you've got 600 million people who are living in this in this region. and I mean, it is, you're right, it is very fragmented. So many different countries, so many different cultures, you know, I mean, entering a new market is like starting a new company all over again, right? I mean, it, obviously, it depends what, what kind of um, audience that you're serving, what kind of business that you're, that you're, that you're doing, but in general, in general if, you're, if you're launching your service in a, in a new country, that requires you to hire lots of local staff, to know, you know the local market, to know the local competition, because there are going to be people who are doing what, what, you're, what you're doing in that, in that market. So it's like starting a startup all over again. And imagine doing that. I mean, stage, it, you want to hit sort of six different mar- markets to be regional. I mean, that's like starting five or six different companies. And obviously, like, it, and just because you're you're big in Singapore or Indonesia or Thailand doesn't mean that you're going to be big in like uh, in in the in the Philippines, for example. So I think it's a really difficult thing to do to be regional. But I mean, there are some companies that are doing a really good job, and e-commerce, which is I don't know if you know, uh, they're started by um, a couple of really successful uh, entrepreneurs in uh, Thailand does sort of the um, all the unsexy uh, stuff behind the scenes for commerce companies so like getting product out to customers when they bought it you know managing the all the uh, back end kind of stuff, does all this stuff, Those actually whenever they've done companies they've always been regional so sort of five or six, five or six um, different markets very very quickly and they're right now with e commerce and they've—I mean—they've I mean, they've raised a, l- a lot of funding for a company that's based in Bangkok. Japanese operator DoCoMo was one of their big in- in- investors too. That's the way to do it: is to is to be in a in a place that is easily scalable, right? So so um, they have like a playbook, and we kind of scale it out. I kind of want um, to
0: challenge. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, huh. yeah. I kind of want to challenge that uh, scalability argument. So I I I, want, I I actually want your your perspective. I have an, another argument. So Southeast Asia traditionally in this collective group of countries tends to be be favorable to U.S. websites or U.S. mobile applications. Unlike China or India where there's a more stronger or even Japan and Korea where there's stronger nationalistic tendencies to use their own apps. I mean, if you go to China, you are not going to use Google. You're going to use Baidu, you're going to use Alibaba, you're going to use Tencent um, and WeChat, basically. Mm-hmm. You have that local advantage. In Korea, the same. In Japan, you have Line, you have Rakuten. But you don't see that kind of advantage in Southeast Asia because of the friendliness towards. I mean, if you look at, I think, Twitter's largest population is in Indonesia, Facebook is as well, you know, the next largest market. In I mean, some people use that as an argument to why India has not seen the kind of companies that emerge like China. Do you see that yeah. that as a as disadvantage?
1: Well, I mean, I think it just takes time, right? I mean, different markets, different points of development. Like you can argue that with China, I mean, China is such a huge market. You know, if you could be successful in China, then you're going to... Be a billion dollar company, right? You know, let alone Alibaba, which is which is multi billion company. If you, you know, if you're in Japan, there's you know the the, the uh, Japanese economy is way different to others in Asia. There's the kind of technical know-how. Again, there's the potential to build a very big company out of Japan. And I guess hardware is is one of the areas where you know uh, Japanese companies have always done well in, in, in the past. But with this, you know, with Southeast Asia, it's a lot harder because there isn't the the kind of huge population. And you know they're not like uh, on the same level as, as say J- Japan or, or or Korea in terms of you know, economies. So I think it's it's a different. I mean, it's a it's a different situation. So you can't. I think doing a direct comparison is kind of quite difficult. But I think what you are seeing is you know companies that are that are doing well. And you mentioned like uh, t- t- Tokopedia, sorry, Tokopedia in, yep. uh, in, in, in Indonesia, which just raised a hundred million dollars. I mean, that's that that's crazy. I mean, that's a lot of money, and you wouldn't have thought that would happen a, a couple of years ago. So, I guess you now what you're seeing now is, is, is the first companies who are emerging that have the, the platform to potentially become like an, an Alibaba of uh, Southeast Asia, if you will. I mean, whether or not they can get to the size, you know, to, to, to that size, it's not very likely because, you know, it's based on the, on the market that you're in. And I don't think that, you know, Southeast Asia doesn't have anything like the
0: same
1: uh, kind of sizes. China, but I mean, certainly Tokopedia could become a a huge company, and obviously, like expanding regionally, as we've mentioned, is 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 like starting uh, new new companies all, all over again. I mean, they they haven't got a brand outside of it in, in, in Indonesia, so it's going to be very tough for them. But I mean, just that market alone, you know, if they if they pay their cars right and they expand properly, then they could be a you know a very very big co- company, perhaps. So I mean, I mean, that's how it is. Is it's a different situation in this part of the world mm-hmm. um, but I definitely think that we're getting to the point where there are companies in certain markets that are kind of growing quick, quicker than the others and you know they're becoming p- platforms and big players in them, in themselves really. Do you see like
0: the other players like I mean GrabTaxi raised 65 million valuation unknown Tokopedia 100 million valuation unknown Pocket <laughs> Math. I don't know whether the valuation is known I know Caruso's Raise six million, but also valuation unknown um there are, there, are the two, there are two there two lines of thoughts on that one is that they don't want to disclose the valuation in the fear that the- cl- the clones in the same market will raise their money with the same valuation if it's too high, or maybe the valuation is too low it it, it can be it can be either uh yeah.
1: I mean, I think it's quite normal because I mean, even if you go to the the uh, US, I mean, lots don't want their valuations getting out. I mean, lots of people who are investing in companies don't want their actual stake to be outed. So I think it's—I don't think it's anything that's just happening in Southeast Asia. I think it's quite normal. I mean, I'd—I'd love to know some of the uh, valuations for for these companies, but I mean, I I think it's—it's all—it's all all relative anyway. I mean, I I don't think it's that important, really. You know it's more important is you know is how they're doing how they're going in terms of their expanding their businesses how how that's going you know what their plan is you know in the next say three four five years. I think you know worrying about a, a valuation figure isn't really that important, mm-hmm. but I mean it is interesting that you, that you don't ever hear them in in southeast Asia though
0: yeah, I mean for you it would be great news if you know the value right
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i i i think I think it's another something to add you know i think I think it's interesting. Um, if you're following kind of uh, startups in Southeast Asia, it, it, it is interesting. Um, but I mean, I'm just really curious to see how they go in the next sort of mm. three, four, five years. You know where they're going to go from there. You you've been yeah. observing um, Tiger
0: Capital from global from the more global view. They have actually made some footprint into Southeast Asia through Grab Taxi, I think. Do you yes. see that? I mean, sokowa did Tokopedia and Caruso. So I I think the question now is whether more global players will come into this market. I mean, I, I, I'm i a fan of Andresen Horowitz. I'm dying for them to be here. But they, they will probably <laughs> go to Europe first or China. I don't think they will come to Southeast Asia.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it, it all just takes time, right? Because, you know, people are talking about India as being a market that didn't have enough uh, investors in sort of Two two years ago, three years ago, and now you know, as you mentioned, Tiger Global just raised two and a half billion dollars, and I can you know I'm pretty sure a lot of that money is going to go to India. They've they've been early investors in lots of um, companies that are doing very well at the moment. Uh, you know, Flipkart, uh, which competes with Amazon, and Ola, which competes with Uber. So you know, they've I think it, it just it just take, takes time, you know, um, and I think Southeast Asia is probably is probably the next market that investors that are looking. Opportunities like like India would start to be looking at, uh, in this part of the, of the world. So I think it, it just takes time. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that there are some companies, you know, in Southeast Asia who are doing who are doing a great job and certainly show that there's the potential to to be regional and to to be a big business and you know here. Uh, you know, you mentioned grab grab taxi. I mean they they're only in Southeast Asia. And as as far as I'm aware, they haven't got any plans at the moment to, 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 to go outside of Southeast Asia because they just see an opportunity that's here, you know, an untapped market in this part of the world. And they, they think that they can they can get the culture of of, of these markets uh, in Southeast Asia better than Uber can. I mean whether or not they can they can win or if it's a zero sum game, probably not. But I mean, you know, just just having companies that are raising, you know, sort of I guess they must have raised close to a hundred million now. I I I forget these exact figures, but I mean, just to have companies that are doing that in this part of the world is a great, a great uh, validation for startups here. And I think, yeah, you know, the next sort of year or two, I I don't see why other kind of funds that are looking at um, emerging market opportunities wouldn't wouldn't put more cash here too. You're going to be watching.
0: From it so how would startups in Southeast Asia get your attention to get covered oh, was really easy. I, I get that from I get I get it from uh, startups all the time like you know they would typically ask me how to get in touch with TechCrunch Tech in Asia so I might as well just ask yeah. me a question so whenever they ask I can oh, refer sure, sure. to this podcast. It's a,
1: it's a I think a lot of pressure now. Uh, with nah, me, we um, just, we, <laughs> I'll just basically do I guess the intro, just, don't
0: worry about that. <laughs>
1: Oh no! I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Just, just, just get in touch, really. Just, I mean, you can, if you, you can find us on, on Twitter, or even just, just typing into, into, into Google, and you'll get, you know, our details quite easily. And just, just get in touch. I mean, the difficult thing is, as I mentioned, that we don't cover every story because it has to be a we look to for for regional stories things that have significance on a a regional level or things that are just interesting it's kind of quite broad but I mean I always like to talk to entrepreneurs and startups even if we don't you know write stories about them that's kind of how a a relationship starts really adding someone on Skype or just emailing starting with with, with emails and yeah I I guess it's it's, I mean it's more it's more difficult in Asia because people are everywhere Uh, it's not like in US where you know everyone's Silicon Valley or maybe on the East Coast or in the UK where it's like London or Berlin and some other places. Asia is literally everywhere you know <laughs> there's like there's China, Japan, Korea, Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia you know all these markets. I mean if I move to China you know next 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 week I would still be writing about companies that aren't based in China so you know you can never actually win by being in, this, in the same place as everybody. So I think you know Stuff like email and Skype is really important, and if you just, you know, just just to get in touch via email, first of all, is a, is a is a is a good step. You know, hopefully, if you have some news or announcement or something that's that's coming up, that always helps too.
0: Okay, so your advice is just make sure they just connect with you, and you know, try to let you know what they're doing, and if the inter- story is
1: interesting, right. you will cover them. Exactly, but I mean, just ha- but I mean, having a relationship with media is quite important anyway. Really, I mean, yes. it's not always just. Oh look, you know, here's my news. Often it's about, you know, maybe you've heard something, or you know, just 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 telling us what you're up to, or if you want some some feedback. I normally try to get back to people, but I mean, yeah, it's not it's not just about, you know, oh, I'm I'm this is my announcement. I try to get kind of a bit of a better relationship going, and obviously, you know, when people come to Bangkok to try and catch up with them, you know, to go for a Coffee or a beer or whatever, and you know. Likewise, whenever I I visit other cities, I always try to find people who who I know and kind of and kind of expand my uh, circle by 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 hanging out with people as well.
0: Yep. So, how do our audience find you? Twitter? You
1: have a Twitter account? Yes, John Russell is my Twitter account, which is just my name. And uh, yeah, my email address, which I'm going to give out as well, is just uh, jr at techcrunch dot com.
0: Ah, okay. You all got it here. So, well, you all can find me at CW or at Um, You can follow also Analyze Asia's uh, Twitter, Analyze Asia with an S, and our Analyze.Asia website. Do drop us feedback on the podcast. It looks very... Well, I did have one feedback for the first time, so it's not so bad in our iTunes podcast page, but we would love to hear your reviews of the of our podcast so john thanks a lot but i think this is the first but probably not the last so you are probably going to come on again i'm sure there are a lot of stories going to be flowing out after you know the next couple of months in southeast asia so thanks awesome. for having thanks for having me you here take care then okay thanks partner cheers